Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I'm here today with Dave DeNoia, uh, Mark, and Ellie, and we're going to talk about finance. And so we have basically uh, four episodes in this in this series, and we're going to talk about financial resource management. We'll probably get into Bitcoin, blockchain, uh, definitely we'll talk about the cloud and just distributed systems as we've done on previous previous episodes. But... Um, I'll hand it off to Dave to do intros. We'll just do a quick round of intros of who, who's here talking with us today. Hi, my name is Dave DeNoia, and uh, I worked with data uh, for my whole career and uh, in various forms and big data, databases, etc. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Hi, I'm Mark Müller-Eberstein. Um, based on the accent, you can figure it out. I'm coming from Germany originally, but I live in the U.S. since the late 90s. I run a consulting business, Edge Tech Corporation, and um, do a research uh, on what the key technologies are uh, with Rutgers University and a couple of research institutes across the globe. And uh, just having a good time lately around uh, blockchain technology. Welcome. I'm Ellie Mungeli, DevOps engineer, currently working for JPL NASA. I also am a consultant around democracy for government and digital government. Thank you. So welcome to our guests. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And uh, just after the break, we're going to get into a lot of details about financial resource management and just the current state, essentially, of finance, money, and all this digital uh, craziness we've got going on. All right, we're back and we're talking about finance. And we figured for the next segment, we're going to talk about this metaphor, really, of the David and Goliath, where we've got the David, the little guy, and we've got the, the, the Goliath, or the Goliaths in our case, which is the big guys, the big banks, uh, the, the big uh, governments, and so forth. And so we have this idea of centralized control and the Goliaths, and, and the hypothesis is that they have all these uh, resources and capabilities and so forth, and that they're designing all the things. And then we have a, a lens that we can look at it now also and probably always have been able to, but as the people and the citizenry and some notion of kind of ri rising up. And, and so, the, go ahead, Dave. And I might say that that metaphor probably, and I would look to the two of you, uh, extends all the way into the technology of the node, not just the people versus the pe like, like who is running it versus who is using it, but also the technology itself. There's the node, that is the, the democratic set of nodes, and then how does that relate to the overall project? Yeah, it's interesting when we look at the the ancient versions of money, we were all in control of that. When everything was just barter, then we were kind of in control of our own of our own valuation of what we were doing. Whereas now valuation is a little bit less direct, right? It's an exterior source saying yeah, this is what the Yeah, and we're not sure is. that that, in fact, can't be manipulated by the centralized forces. The invention of money as and, or the invention of currency means that we gave up some control over valuation. And maybe does Bitcoin give us more of that back because oh. it's distributed <laughs> monetary systems? Oh, yes and no, but I think you are right. Any, anywhere where there is, an, is value and there's an opportunity to control people trying to take advantage of it or play the system legally, whatever that means, or illegally, whatever that means. So, um, yes, you are on the right track. I think it is happening. 
And um, I mean, if you look at the smaller cryptocurrencies with very limited players, high amounts that are going to move, be moved around, um, I think there's a good argument that there's some manipulation going on today as well. Yeah, so there, there's another perspective, I think, to throw out here, which is uh, public and visible versus private, for example. And so an example of, I think, two examples that I'll throw out here. Cash, I think, has often been used as a fairly private tool that people use to make transactions without any true tracking. And so um, clearly the banks and, and so forth, uh, if, if things do hit the bank accounts, then there's some degree of accounting and centralization that's going on. And then, and then um, in this WeChat example, I think, Mark, that you gave where it's a single company that owns all or that provides that infrastructure that allows these people to exchange money more or less, that it's, it's not private in any way. It's also the government has visibility into all those transactions, so nobody has any notion that they're transacting in any private way, but because it's so convenient and so scalable and there's so much utility, they're just gonna use it. They'll, they'll trade their anonymity or what have you for the convenience of it, or it just enables far much more so they're trading off something else. Yeah, I think uh, the usability wins in this case over the uh, intention of being private, mm -hmm. and maybe in, in a society where the concept of privacy is not even that much valued or accepted even. Um, but I think governments in general, I think you, they want to have control. Big organizations, whatever they are, private, public, they want to have control of what's going on for a variety of reasons. And depending where you live, you might have different opinions about it. Um, and individuals trying to find ways to live with it where they can or ways around where they cannot. I mean, we talked about barter systems. Um, when the, um, in, in Argentina, when the country was devaluating their currency all the time, what did people do? They bought stereo systems. So they basically bought five, six, seven stereo systems because they were more stable in value than the actual currency. So wherever um, things are happening in a way that people try it's not in their benefit, they're trying to get around it. Um, international money transfer guidelines, there are ways um, people try to get around them for a long time for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think that brings up a question that I'm curious about. You know, there's the, there's the distribution and the democratic potential and these sorts of things, and, and, and we like to think that that is where things could head. But I also remember, you know, I was just reading about it again this morning that, um, you know, the talk of how technology is gonna bring the 20 hour work week. Right, and I have—I don't know about—we could go around the room here, but I haven't experienced that. So I'm just kind of curious about some dark side type examples, if you will, uh, or you know where the power through distribution power still ends up funneling upwards. I can tell you um, the well. One of the uses of blockchain in particular is that when we, we start talking about identity and the the ability of peer identification without a centralized authentication server or some kind of authentication through a centralized authority. All of my work when I go and talk about democracies and digital democracies that are based on like blockchain identities, people always ask me, well, can't you use that? Can't terrorists be organized with all those same technologies? And of course they can. I mean, one man's terrorist is the other man's freedom fighter. Yeah, I think technology has has always been used for all kinds of different aspects. I mean, there's a, there's a high percentage of cash 
that is used today for illegal transactions. So should we get rid of cash? Well, in Sweden, they're trying to. So, um, or Depends what you think about those particular illegal transactions, I guess. So not going, we're not going into that today. I yeah, I mean, should there be illegal <laughs> transactions? That's, the, that's an interesting thing, too, is that it's like, what does it do to our currency? When you talk about um, Argentina, actually, I spent time in Argentina under hyperinflation. And that's such a fascinating place to be because it's the place where people are, have, are just angry with their money, you know, where people are like refusing their money because it's lost so much value. And at that point, everybody just starts using somebody else's currency or like stereos or whatever. But I mean, any place with hyperinflation, you're going to find a whole bunch of greenbacks. You'll find American dollars being used as a currency. Uh, just on that that note, uh, I read an article by uh, a person who picked their vacation spots by searching for hyperinflation. <laughs> and they would go to those places. <laughs> it works, but it's so depressing. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to add to the David and Goliath thing that rather than thinking it as a, a war and a duality, there's, there's clearly common interest between the little man and the, the governance or the control, like the large providers, that um, just in the legal and compliance sense, obviously if there's things types of transactions or whatever they might be that can do harm, then there's an interest both that the little guy, the David has, and then there's an interest that the government has to provide that kind of capability. So I think from a systems perspective, I don't think we need to think of it as a fight per se, but clearly there are um, not all of the interests are necessarily aligned. And then there is a competition to create and be the de facto standard for this type of technology right now. And I think uh, we are living in a world where co systems and ideas compete, and as long as they can compete, and as long, uh, we will we will see different winners, and things usually getting better over time. And and do we see it going mm -hmm. more to um, private exchange of money, or like so? For let's say just for the hypothesis of it, what if there was one way that you could transact that was private, and that you wouldn't get caught, quote unquote. And then there, which is, you almost say that's the black market, right? Literally. Yeah. And then you have another way to transact, which is public and that it's visible and whatnot, and you don't care. It's about usability, I think. It's really coming down to, for, the, for most of the transactions, how important is the privacy for you and how important and how easy it is. I mean, for emails, we, there are privacy solutions for sending emails, but how many people are actually using them? And um, how many people are okay that they basically send public postcards all over the internet? We know that the DNC is not. Using <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, because the DNC hack does bring up this thing where people, is it true that people are okay with not having privacy or that they are not aware of the lack of privacy that they have? And in terms of currency, like one of the things that where we talk about, again, a black market, should there be such a thing as a black market even, you know? But one of the things that I have seen is that what you empower by having a black market, you know, there's like, obviously somebody's going to make a profit there. And, and in terms of public tax theory, I have a friend who's, I have a bunch of friends that are tax accountants because I worked for Avalara, which does sales tax oh, automation. But one of the things that um, Rachel Crampton, Rachel Dunham told me about that was that governments always fall into this trap of using public tax as a way to try and control the citizens. Excise taxes are a great example of this because it costs the healthcare system. So they make it expensive to have vices. And yet that's so that that act of taxing the, is manipulating the government revenue. It's also manipulating the citizens into certain behaviors. 
Is that what currency, is that why these centralized systems want currency, is the way that they can manipulate behavior? Uh, some libertarians would say the reason why they want the control over the currency so they can print money and spend more. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's one of the arguments uh, for a lot of people in the cryptocurrency environment why we should have independent and decentralized systems to prevent either inf as a hyperinflation or even inflation and to take the power out of the hand of the governments um, of the store of the value. If the government's not storing the value, though, does that mean, I mean, one of the things when we look at these big systems like, you know, Disney having mm -hmm. systems, totally internal systems like that, where do we draw the line between corporations and governments? And it's becoming a lot blurrier. One of the things that I think is really funny in the current political situation is the way that Washington has not gotten pushed around that much by the Fed. Like in some cases, big municipalities decided to just go, go after the Paris Accord on their own. They didn't care that the Fed blew it off. And so that's about resources. You know, a wealthy municipality can stand up even to the Fed. I think uh, organizations will try to control as much under their, under their influence as possible, just so they are as independent as possible and can make decisions as this. I think uh, we had, uh, we, so if, if you think about conspiracy theories, so now of course I don't have any deep insight here, I'm just making this up based on publicly um, available information, but uh, you Sounds heard it juicy. Difference. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think if you if you look at, the, I mean, the potential of blockchain technology is enormous of creating systems that are independent from any central control. So if you have understood that, then you can see the potential and the power for some organizations. Now there are a lot of large companies that got together and organizations like R3 or the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance that are trying to figure out how to work with public blockchains. If you look at all these lists, there's one company that has always been at the cutting edge of technology adoption that is absent, Goldman Sachs. And um, they also announced a couple of years ago that they're investing $500 million into blockchain technology, the research and the applications. Not much in the press today, but um, with the acquisition of uh, the creation of GS Bank now, um, I don't know why they wouldn't create at least to start with an internal blockchain-based transaction system that would allow them to do global transactions independent of any central bank. Like, so is that within their normal operating now, they could have their own basic currency exchange that allowed them to do everything that they're doing already, but through like this medium of an independent currency. Exactly. And that, that even yeah. without changing anything or opening up new markets, they could still use it internally. They could still use it internally and then... And it would be a value to them to a do A value so. for, for them internally. And yeah. then let's say five, 10 years out, um, they could create something like the GS coin, the Goldman Sachs coin that would, have, would potentially be a traded value in competition to the Bitcoin or the Litecoin. What scares me about this in a way is that it kind of opens up, especially when we talk about it in a closed corporate context like that. Do I want my salary paid in that kind of thing? It sets up a scenario like a company store, you know, where it's you're basically really getting only paid with currency that they control and that you could only spend within their context. So in, I've often thought about this recreation of feudalism through corporations. 
right? And I mean, that 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 sounded a lot like that. <laughs> yeah, and I actually see a lot. I mean, when we look at the, it's actually very interesting when we look at the tech industry in particular, it has these huge campuses that are completely enclosed and people just go to work in the campus, sure. get on the They'd bus and go to the campus. I find, I've visited several of these and I, I'm just shocked by how creepy it feels to me. I mean, maybe I'm old school, I'm old enough to be old school now, but like, I, I'm like, whoa, it, it's just, it's a, it's, um, it's a ver- it's like a new it's like a sub society that's created within it. It's- yeah, and it's funny because a lot of people. Well, you know, you, I, it makes me feel old too. But I noticed that a lot of people that really embrace this, yeah, like yeah. young people who just like I can do everything here, have well, never seen a sugar plantation in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, they don't even know about the company store. Yeah. You know, no, it's that. I mean, you know, it's a separate topic here a little bit, but you know, it's that transition from dorm life to this company life that still has a cafeteria <laughs> and all these sorts of things. And I think it's you know. We the, the youthfulness of that uh, uh, of, of these companies, like there's that easy transition there to, to, to maintain that culture. Yeah. What do we give up when we go for something like that, or will we even control that? I mean, will the emergence of corporate current internal corporate currencies make that inevitable? So on the positive side, though, with having um, a lot of the v- functionality stored now in the in the in different competing blockchain environments. Um, it is starting to be really easy to move your value around. And uh, if you don't like Bitcoin, you can go to Litecoin. If you don't like Zcash, you can go to Ethereum. I'm waiting for GS coin. Yeah, so we, we got a, a little bit of time left here yet. So the, so the thought I had was um, you've got the biggest of the Goliaths, which must be the countries now. And, and there's obviously some debate about that. Um, but let's just say, for example, your stakeholders are truly the citizenry, like the little guy. There's the, the big governments, like federal governments, that have power. And then you have these corporations. And because the corporations all essentially report up to a government, then the government has control and power. But do we see more and more of the government power going away because of these themes? Is this a risk to control of governments that if the currency or if the exchange and so forth happens uh, within the context of huge employers like Google, Microsoft, and everybody else that's huge in the Fortune 50 or whatever, and they all have their own coin and industry (laughs) and whatever, and like just they have their own economy. And then what is the what is the importance of the of the pivot or the dimension that is a country, who cares? It's kind of interesting because one of the things that I've noticed is both the prolifer the proliferation of identity and an emphasis on trying to give people single identity. And this is going on, it's almost like there's lumpers and splitters in every taxonomy. And this is something that's going on in terms of of identity in digital infrastructure, where some places will have single sign-on, where you use your same identity every place you go, but it's logical and powerful to have a lot of identities. In some ways, if you have a layered identity, like you have three passports, then you're you're distributed in terms of your citizenship. And I think that there are deep advantages to having a deeply layered citizenry, meaning that you have citizenship in many sovereign clouds or corporations and that they would all have their different currencies. Sure. But I'm not sure that it goes against usability to have that in most cases. I mean, it it may be even like one of the challenges that we have in technology and living in a distributed world is how can we build a usable distributed identity? 
Yeah, and then choice is the other thought process that comes to my mind there is you talk about value and the argument that an institution or an organization, and I think historically you'd say the United States provided so much value that many people came and there's so much opportunity here, join the United States. But then now that we're in the United States, for example, and we think about our employer and what can they provide me and their benefits and this and the other thing, and then we can, we can say, well, there's, you could just live a life living inside of Microsoft, say, and just eat their food and, and take their money and, and buy the, all the Costco would maybe be another example of the same thing, you know, <laughs> where it's just, you just do, you just live the corporate life. You just are drinking the Kool-Aid exclusively. But then, but then that's not for everyone, right? So there is choice. And then I don't know if this is back to the black market or just like liberalism or I, something. I think we're talking about Snow Crash at this point. <laughs> so for those of you who are science fiction fans, you know, Snow, it turns out Neil Stevenson was right. And um, you know, I think I, Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong, I think, is the, is the, con- the country, quote unquote, that I want to join. Yeah. All right. So that was a conversation about uh, David and Goliath. Basically, what we're talking about there is these, is these forces at play, the big, big players uh, who are organized and um, have a lot of resources like governments and corporations. And then we have we can view the citizens as uh, the Davids and and they all have their interests and abilities. And we're at a an interesting, I don't know if inflection point or uh, gray area here now between who who will win and what will happen. So stay tuned. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to abstract.com slash meetup to get more information on this month's topic in the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com. S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com. Media.com.